This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser, and welcome back this week to another episode of Reform This. It's great to be with you, and thanks for joining me week to week. If you're new, thanks for subscribing, thanks for listening. I hope you get a sense here of a voice that you don't get to hear elsewhere that unfortunately is not getting the attention that we should, those of us who believe in the need to fix the house of Islam from within, to reform against the ideas of political Islam, to defend America patriotically, to believe in our Constitution above any other legal system, especially theocracy. Week to week on Reform This, I try to find those issues that can resonate with areas that need reform, but also breach that chasm between the lands that use Sharia law as their guiding legal system and the West that uses liberalism, classical liberalism that uses reason and the Constitution. This week there is a motion that was raised in Canada uh, a few months ago back in December. It's called Motion 103. It was uh, brought to light uh, by a Muslim uh, liberal MP. Her name is Akra Khalid. And it had a little bit of discussion on the internet. Uh, was brought to my attention by a uh, Canadian anti-Islamist Muslim activist, a colleague by the name of Tariq Fatah, and also by another colleague who uh, joins me in the Muslim reform movement, uh, Raheel Raza, who wrote a piece for the Clarion Project on this, and uh, a number of others who've been talking about it. But At the end of the day, there's been far too little discussion about this in the mainstream media. And, you know, for all the discussion about the harm of naming radical Islam, naming the ideology of those that create and foment the underbelly of militant Islamism, or what I call political Islam, or the Sharia state, or Islamic state, this motion actually bears within it educational elements and draws the battle line, I believe, of those, whether you're Muslim or non-Muslim, that get it versus those that don't. And this Islamist sympathizer, Iqbal Khalid, is using the motion of 103 to, before the parliament, it was put forth in December and then tabled, and now after the heinous terror attack upon the Quebec mosque. She has brought it back for discussion, and there's been very little controversy against it. And actually, Prime Minister Trudeau has defended it. And in its defense, he claims that, well, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater, so therefore there are words that are protected. There are words that can lead to violence, so therefore words that condemn Islam need to be looked at. So, it looks like M103 in Canada is the beginning of true blasphemy laws in the West. Khalid's motion called for the condemnation of Islamophobia and all forms of systemic racism and religious discrimination. And her motion seems to try to equate anti-Semitism and persecution of Christians, but it really only mentions quote-unquote Islamophobia by name. 
And any of you who've listened to my podcast before, you'll know I despise the term Islamophobia. Our Muslim reform movement, among many other principles, identifies the fact that ideas do not have rights, human beings do. And this is the 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 tectonic shift that this type of legislation will have is that by naming criticism of Islam as something that needs to be analyzed, marginalized, it is actually citing the protection of ideas. It isn't talking about only Muslims and ending bigotry against Muslims, but it talks about ideas. It calls on the federal government in Canada to combat hate and fear against Muslims, to implement a government-wide approach to eliminating systemic racism and religious discrimination while singling out only Islamophobia. And it wants to collect data on hate crimes across the country and report back in 240 days. And this is as reported in the Toronto Sun by Lorna Gunter. Now, there are many who have endorsed these goals, and it doesn't really define Islamophobia, What does that mean? It's a catch-all phrase that could be anything from naming Sharia law to naming the degradation of women, the hadood punishments, corporal punishments of the severing of limbs, flogging for blasphemy or other things that are done in the name of Islamic law in Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and other Muslim-majority countries. And there's no doubt that this enters on a slippery slope that has not been present in the West. It singles out Muslims for protection from speech that they, they Muslims, we Muslims, find offensive. I don't need that protection. I don't want any more protection from my faith, discrimination of the terms than any other faith has. And would that make it right if other faiths had protection also against their discrimination, which is what some Islamists talk about. They say, well, we also should not criticize Jesus. We should not criticize Abraham, Moses, or or deprecate their, their history. As the Toronto Sun says, it'll be a chilling on public statements or criticism of Islam or Muslims who wage violent jihad. She demanded, the member of parliament, Ikra Khalid, demanded that Islamophobia be treated as a crime and didn't even bother to define it. It was read by McClare, the leader of the leftist New Democratic Party, who read it. He said, Mr. Speaker, in a moment I'll be seeking unanimous consent for an important motion based on the e-petition sponsored by the Honorable Member that asks that we, the House of Commons, condemn all forms of Islamophobia. He didn't get the unanimous consent, but his motion passed. No mainstream media reported it. A few blogs and writers, as I said, discussed it. Then the liberal Khalid introduced it. In another more comprehensive motion, that the government should recognize the need to quell the increasing climate of hate and fear, condemn Islamophobia and all its forms of systemic racism and religious discrimination, and take note of the House of Commons petition E411 and the issues raised by it, and request that the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage undertake a study. She recommends that Islamophobia be treated as a crime, a hate crime by the federal government, and that it, quote, collect data to contextualize hate crimes reports and to conduct needs assessments for impacted communities. Khala's assistant, Anas Marwa, told the Daily Caller that they expect the motion to come up for discussion in a couple of weeks. The motion has not been introduced, but it was tabled in December, and that will be up for its first reading in early February. And as the caller notes, if the motion is sent to the Heritage Committee, it's guaranteed the full attention of the chairwoman, Liberal uh, Member of Parliament, Haiti Fry. 
She's entrenched in the left wing of the party. And she's notorious for comments she made following 9-11 attacks that seemed to blame the U.S. On and on. The self-hate of the left, the ignoring, the, the negligence towards real women's rights under the subjugation of Sharia, Hadood, and other issues that they ignore in the name of using the Muslim minority. When we come back, I want to unpack this motion 103, talk about what impact it has on moderate Muslims, on reform Muslims, on free speech, on the counterterrorism efforts, and security apparatuses. This is an important call to battle to the word warriors, to the those who believe in freedom and liberty. These are the front lines of reform. It's not being fought in Saudi Arabia where there's no freedom. It's being fought in the parliaments, the Congress of the West, in America, Canada, and Europe. If we don't pay attention to these attempts by Islamists to turn Islam into a living, breathing organism of rights rather than simply an idea. Remember, in a couple of weeks ago, I talked about Islam not having rights since it's an idea, but Muslims having rights. That Islam is not an identity movement, it's not a race, it's an idea. So all of these fronts are an attempt to give life and minority status to an idea so that it isn't criticized and thus implement blasphemy laws. I'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Reaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. In the last segment, we were talking about this M103 legislation that's trying to be passed by a Muslim parliamentarian, a leftist parliamentarian who's trying to use the Muslim community to put forth so-called protections against bigotry, but actually all she names is Islamophobia. And I'm here to tell you that anything done under the guise of protecting Muslims from Islamophobia is actually a theocratic attempt to control speech, to control the narrative, and to make Islam into an identity movement, and to make Muslims into a race. And sure enough, like the lapdog of the left that Prime Minister Trudeau is, not using his brain and understanding of freedom and liberty and rights that he supposedly defends, but simply running to defend minorities without any sight. You know, he went to a mosque a year ago, and in that mosque that had severe apartheid against women that separated men and women, he went to the first floor, joined the men, and the women were in the back behind a screen, and he said, to the sisters upstairs, he gave them a hello. That is a liberal feminist prime minister. I think his father would be embarrassed. Also a liberal, but far more intelligent than Justin Trudeau. And yet, he announced in support, he was asked about what he felt, and didn't really weigh in and support, but gave a long-winded seven- to eight-minute answer about M103, and said that ultimately... Criticism of Islam and in the wake of the Quebec tragedy is similar to shouting fire in a crowded theater. Now, the tragedy that happened in Quebec was a terrorist act by apparently somebody driven by anti-Muslim bigotry. Make no doubt about it. 
I will not submit any of my civil rights as an American Muslim. Neither should Canadian Muslims or any Muslims who are here to be free. But we also must fight against theocracy because we can do things in this country and say things that we could never say in any Muslim-majority country. And part of that responsibility is to give back to this society in thankfulness and gratitude for that by repairing our own house that's causing the devastation to Muslims and non-Muslims alike abroad and with terror attacks here. And if we did that, that would be the most potent weapon to melt away the bigotry that exists against Muslims. And the often founded or unfounded fear that exists. And yes, it is often unfounded and exaggerated. But that existence of terrorism is exactly what's used in tyrannies like Assad's tyranny in Saudi Arabia to take away the rights of its people and say that if I allowed, the king of Saudi Arabia says, if I allowed freedom, the Wahhabis would terrorize, Al-Qaeda would terrorize, and because of their existence, which he, by the way, which the Saudi government creates through its dissemination of Wahhabi ideas, but never mind that, they they tyrannize, terrorize their own people under the name of preventing terrorism. And this anti-Islamophobia bill is the attempt to do the same. It is an attempt to criminalize speech, to begin to get the camel's nose under the tent of free speech and start to say, and you have the expressions of a supposedly free-thinking prime minister who defends this, Why? Because it is in vogue to speak out against Islamophobia, a term created by the Islamic theocracies, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, 56 countries that unite in a neo-caliphate as a voting bloc at the UN and have their own organization based out of Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, all about defending the land of Islam or Dar al-Islam against the rest of the world, which they call Dar al-Harb, the land of war. So this motion sets the government of Canada on the path to criminalizing speech against Islam or what they call Islamophobia. So if you take unsavory, if you take issue with any of the aspects of Islamic orthodoxy, be it Sharia, be it Hadood, that would be then open to being called Islamophobia. And the prime minister doesn't care. He talks about sisters upstairs as if that's something they want to do rather than what the left should be proud of. And I say this as a conservative on the right, which is the defense of women's rights to be equal and not to take the rights from men, but from God directly as equal partners in life, in all aspects of life. And there being no inequality in choosing what to wear, choosing how to act, what jobs to have, what leadership, what property agency but no when we speak to muslim groups we accept their misogyny we accept their limitations on free speech and we vote for their laws done by muslim parliamentarians in the name of canadian freedom but actually done on behalf of theocrats and the islamic establishment There was a petition put forth that said that this should be defended because these actions have been used as a pretext for a notable rise in anti-Muslim sentiments in Canada. It continues, These violent individuals do not reflect in any way the values of the teachings of all the religion of Islam. In fact, they misrepresent the religion. We reject their activities. They in no way represent the religion, the beliefs, and the desire of Muslims to coexist in peace. We call upon the House of Commons to join us in recognizing that extremist individuals do not represent the religion of Islam and in condemning all forms of Islamophobia. So, so wait a minute, it starts by condemning terrorism and then ends in condemning Islamophobia? It's not a binary concept. This is absurd. It's not that you're either a terrorist or a great Muslim. There's a continuum there. It's not that you either are hateful of Islam or you love it. 
There's fear. There's a, a, a confusion out there about where theocracy ends, where militancy starts. According to, to the current Islamists writing these legislations, then at any time in reform and history of faith, those were either Christian phobes or not. When you talk about Martin Luther or other reformers. This is hate within the house of Islam for anyone who, who dares ask a question. And this is a way they use to try to suppress free speech. Now it's amazing the the retractions and the and the and the uh, stepbacks are, are are gaining exponentially as the world starts to finally have this conversation about M103 in Canada. They say, well, it's being mischaracterized as a bill or a law rather than a non-binding motion, and yet it does basically ask for certain funds from Canadians to be spent on a characterization of any criticism of Islam as being the problem. And the author of this bill has been declining interviews from CBC News. And yet she tabled it back in December and now brought it back in the wake of exploiting the the tragedy against the mosque in Quebec, which I find particularly heinous. Because that crime was heinous, that crime brought Canadians together. You had you had non-Muslims funding the repairs of that mosque. Six Muslim people, Canadians who who gave their lives to the hate and venom of somebody who killed them for being Muslim and praying. And her response is to suppress free speech, which will have repercussions across the Muslim and non-Muslim community. And the response from the Canadian establishment has been horrific. There have been some that have spoken out against it. But as I said before, Trudeau said that fundamental rights and freedoms are enshrined in Canada's charter of rights and freedoms, but individual rights must be balanced with others in our society. Determining the parameters is an ongoing discussion in a dynamic society. He said the motion aims to address the fact that there is a community that is particularly vulnerable these days to intolerance and discrimination. You are not allowed to call fire in a crowded theater and call that free speech. That endangers our community, and we need to stand firmly against that. And he cited Quebec City. Wow. So not only did he respond glibly or he clearly read the, read the motion and was briefed probably by the lady who wrote it herself. So talk about teamwork between the Islamists and the useful idiots from the Prime Minister on down. It is shameful. But by saying that criticism of Islam is like calling fire in a crowded theater, he is saying that both Canadians and Muslims are children that need to be treated not like adults that can have a thick skin and deal with the free speech because free speech is not about that speech that is mild. The reality of free speech is about that speech which offends you the most, which pushes the margin of toleration, and yet you're free to say, because that's what a free society is judged on, is what are the margins of that freedom, not the center of that freedom, but the margins. And to say that because some violent, irrational terrorist may act in response, that that's how we should guide the freedom of our society, then becomes tyranny. That is how tyrannies are created and justified across the Middle East in order to protect. When you criticize the president, it becomes criticism of Islam. People like Rafe Bedoui are in jail in Saudi Arabia for apostasy because criticism of the government Criticism of a need for reform is interpreted as apostasy and blasphemy. Rudda in Arabic. That's not Canadian. And this law, this motion, needs to be fought. This is Zudi Jastron. Reform this and we'll finish this discussion when I come right back. Reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. 
Don't miss the Chris Salcedo Show. I don't think the left is going to do the work they need to do because for the last eight years, they've not had to. They've had Obama. He just did what they wanted. Left-wing extremism was forced down the country's throat without having to justify it, without having to defend it, without having to rationalize it or reason about it. They just did it because that's what liberalism is. It's force. The Chris Salcedo Show, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. You know, I'm trying to unpack this motion that probably to many might seem like, ah, it's just one of those Canadian things north of America, let's ignore it, but is often a sign of an undercurrent, an underbelly of what's happening in American culture, in Western culture, in this battle between Islamist collectivists and the free world. And this Ikra Khalid, who put forth this motion to prevent Islamophobia, and which many of us believe is the beginning of the process of suppressing free speech and marginalizing criticism of a political Islam and a Sharia statism and identity movements, has, look at who's supporting it. Amira Al-Ghawabi, communications director for the National Council of Canadian Muslims, said that Quebec City was a wake-up call and endorsed this motion. The Islamist groups are coming together like a clot, which they are, a unified identity movement of Muslims who exploit their faith for political, political movements. They had a movement to try to attempt to put Sharia courts in Canada, and thankfully when the women's movement, the feminists finally woke up at the time, it died. It didn't die because the Canadians were paying any attention to moderate Muslims, no. While yet many did speak up against it at the time. And this one again was brought to my attention by both Raheel Raza, Tariq Fatah, Tahir Gora, and other reform-minded Muslims that are deeply against this in Canada. So in this motion, I think you see a lot of the fronts, and the last front I think is the most important one, is that of the moderate Muslims. Muslims who actually believe in Canadian nationalism, Canadian legal system, and will not wrap themselves in the Islamic flag and call themselves victims of the angry Western Muslim, anti-Muslim bigot. And if we ever do cite bigotry like that happened against the Muslims in the Quebec mosque, it will be about anti-Muslim bigotry, not about anti-Islam bigotry, because Islam does not have rights. Tariq Fatah points this out in the Toronto Sun, and he says that basically this is a move to try to coalesce the Islamists with the left and miss the fact that as he notes from a Facebook page of Javed, Asif Javed, who said that the echoes this all echoes the agenda of the Islamists and Islamic extremists in North America who are shamelessly taking advantage of the Quebec City tragedy to advance the international Muslim Brotherhood agenda to silence any criticism of Islam. And especially Islamism. He further wrote, extremist Muslims who came here as refugees are making preparations to turn Canada into a nightmare. Tariq Fatah asked her, would Muslims who denounce Sharia law as barbaric fall into the definition of Islamophobia? She did not answer. He asked her if the believing that the Islamic doctrine of armed jihad as an outdated concept that needs to be renounced was Islamophobic. She would not answer. Do we really want the government deciding what is and what is not Islamophobia? This is the problem with government speech patrol. There are many things that have been said 
in mosques across Canada, such as an Islamic cleric in Montreal, as Tariq points out, that said, O Allah, give victory to the brothers who engage in jihad. O Allah, give them victory over the enemy. O Allah, destroy the cursed Jews. Make their children orphans and their women widows. That is that protected speech? Do we want now all-out war? Where I find that speech far more venomous than anyone who may start to criticize theocratic interpretations of Islam. So if I criticize that as a Muslim, is that Islamophobic because I can't give some apologetic that lies to Americans and to, or Canadians into telling them that that actually is a... No, that's a nonviolent jihad. And it doesn't refer to today's Jews. It was just that one tribe in the 7th century. And that's not why he said it today in Montreal. Really? Is that where we are now? That speech is offensive, and yes, there is speech that's critical of Islam that may be offensive, but it should be protected. Because the slippery slope have started to go down the protection or the marginalization of that kind of speech is horrific. And unravels the very center. That's why in America, our First Amendment is the centerpiece, the pivotal centerpiece of the protection of our Constitution because it prevents the establishment of religion, it protects free speech, it protects the freedom, the first freedom of religious freedom. So I think Motion 103 should have a lot more attention paid to it because maybe then we can start to have a conversation about why it's important to call it radical Islamism, why the United States should have a commission on radical Islamism that President Trump should convene as he promised he would do in the campaign. Why our Muslim reform movement has a simple two-page declaration that has in it the statement that ideas do not have rights, human beings do. That has in it the statement that we condemn any Islamic state that identifies as Islamic because we are in the West in which we believe in the secular free state. We call for the equality of men and women. We call for the fact that we do not have monopoly on the way, on the right, on the pathway to heaven. These are all things that might be viewed as blasphemy and certainly are outside the realm of government. But if the government's going to start taking sides within the house of Islam, for God's sake, do not take the sides of Islamists that want you not to have a conversation and that want to suppress the voices of those who believe in freedom. There was another voice this week that needs to be heard. And thanks again to another Muslim by the name of Umar Lee. He happened to attend this speech given by the theocrat Jonathan Brown, a Muslim professor at Georgetown Islamic Studies. And basically, Umar went there, was listening to the speech, and horrifically started to hear what he thought was, and unmistakably thought was a defense of slavery, and non-consensual sex or, or rape. Lee attended this lecture, and then actually it's available online, uploaded by Brown himself. His lecture was supposed to talk about slavery in Islam, but then he moved his focus to criticize the United States, UK, China, and he described slavery in the term of non-Muslim societies as brutal, which they were, but lauded the historically inhumane practice in Arab lands in Turkey. According to Brown, slaves in the Muslim world lived a pretty good life, wrote Omar Lee. He said, I thought the Muslim community was done with this dishonest North Korean style of propaganda. Obviously not referring to Professor Brown's horrific apologetic about slavery and rape. Brown compared the use of prison labor in the United States and highlighted other problems inherent in the West, but refused to address the abuse of foreign laborers in the Gulf and the treatment of prisoners in the Middle East. Lee points out, as Emerson writes and others, 
have talked about uh, across the internet that in Muslim societies, slavery wasn't racialized like it was in the West. Thus, oh, I guess it means it was okay or better. He compared it to investments, to walking venture properties. And Lee points out that this revisionism, this soft peddling, was deplorable. And this is the moral equivalency that is destroying, the corruption that is destroying any attempts to reform. It belies how a convert or whatever Jonathan Brown's history is will do anything to dismiss away a Salafi interpretation to try to return to the roots of the Prophet Muhammad's time as being inviolable and unchangeable historically. And therefore, since we have to stick to them, therefore, the Salafi explanation must be one that is somehow palatable with today, and there must be a way to demean the modern example in the West that America's grotesque history of slavery which we then had a civil war through. No, ignore the fact that there was a civil war and just equate America with slavery, racialized slavery, and thus Islamic history is better. That is somebody who is not an American, ideologically, somebody who believes the world is divided into the land of Islam, which is all good, and the land of war. Ideological war for Jonathan Brown, but war. that he happens to live in at a university that received tens of millions of dollars from the Saudi oil petro-Islamic operation and thus is a launderer of Salafi Islam. That's what Jonathan Brown is, Brown is and kudos to Umar Lee for bringing this up, for posting about it. Now if you go to Jonathan Brown's Twitter page, he'll blame Emerson and others as being Islamophobes, and he'll be uh, uh, sarcastic about all the bigoted followers now that he has, and he says he had to shut down his Facebook page because of previous conversations in which people he engaged in academic conversations now were being targeted, uh, targeted or exposed as fellow Salafis or fellow Islamists. Yeah. That's the reality, is that he's always the victim. Never mind his inability to critically look at Islamic history, to critically condemn the fact that slavery exists in places like Mauritania, Gulf states, Qatar and elsewhere that Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch looks at these things and that they are rooted in various Salafi interpretations of Islam that need deep reform. No, he ignored that fact. In fact, it's rooted in racism, which he claims wasn't racial, and yet the Arabic term for the black community is Abid, which means slave. Where did that come from? And that's not a racialized slavery? It's pathetic. Well, there are Muslims out there that are looking at reform, that are looking to hold our community honest, and it's not just a few of us. Kudos to all those that covered this story. It's time to out the pathology that's happening at Georgetown from the professor that grotesquely attacked Ezra Nomani for having the gumption to write publicly that she was a liberal that voted for Trump, and somehow that made her Somebody that needed to have profane, grotesque profanity thrown at her publicly on Twitter and elsewhere. Now Ezra has a complaint against her. Hopefully that complaint will rise to the level of exposing the attacks that prevent reformists from having a platform in universities like Georgetown. This is Zudi Jasser, and I'll be right back. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. 
Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. This is Dr. Zudi Jesser. This is Dr. Zudi Jesser. Welcome to the last segment this week of Reform This. Thank you for being with me. And we spent some time talking about Canada's M103 motion, and they'll be arguing it this week. But I last segment, we were talking about Jonathan Brown. This is a guy who uh, I, I've debated back and forth uh, on Twitter a few years ago. Uh, he is clearly a Salafi apologist. He believes that only uh, Muslims with degrees in Sharia can have an opinion about Islam. Uh, and as part of the elitist Islamist Salafist scholars that uh, are, are closely connected to Petro-Islamic dollars. And we see in his perch in Georgetown that it's not very far from the Saudi donations that have created endowed chairs at Georgetown. Now, it would be interesting to find out who funds his chair and his department, and if he's written anything critical of the need to reform towards secular law freedom in the Middle East. He said at his talk that Omar Lee talked about and exposed, and he said it at the International Institute of Islamic Thought, again, one of the Islamist clearinghouses, so-called places for debate, but really a place to entrench Islamist thinking in the West. And I have a lot of stories about Triple IT. You know, the, the most defining one, though, is the fact that their offices were raided right after 9-11 in 2002 because of connections to possible funding of various questionable organizations. Brown at his talk said, I don't think it's morally evil to own somebody because we own lots of people around us and we're owned by people. That sounds like something right out of Mao Zedong. That somehow the, the communist idea of people not having property rights that we're all owned by the society and God and that there is no need for property since we're all equal when in fact that concept makes every individual owned by government and lose all of their individual and human rights. A female attendee, this is according to Ian Chung, a journalist and outspoken media critic who wrote this at Heat Street, a female attendee asked Brown about the permissibility of sex with slaves, to which the professor stated that consent isn't necessary for lawful sex. And he defined consent as a Western concept that emerged with women's suffrage and female bodily autonomy. Brown said he believes that marital, marital rape was an invalid concept in Islam. I couldn't even say it. Had he said similar things under the name of Judaism or Christianity, he would have been fired within a week because of the protestations. But under Islam, his misogyny, his horrific abandonment of human rights principles and universal human rights are ignored. And when they're brought out by honest Muslims who are concerned, 
and by honest liberal media, be it Heat Street, Investigative Project, or our American Islamic Forum for Democracy, they're ignored. And instead, the liberal establishment is wasting its time on motions and legislations like the one in Canada to prevent any criticism of nonsense of pablum like this, which is even beyond pablum, but endorsement of tyrannical treatment of individuals under the roof of democratic universities. It should be an embarrassment to Georgetown. Brown should have his professorship stripped, and he should become an embarrassment to not only the academic community, but the Muslim community. And yet the mosque that President Obama went to in Baltimore also had gender apartheid in February 2016. Also had an imam that was known to have screeds against the gay community. Some of those were on YouTube, but that was ignored by the liberal gay rights activist President Obama. Never mind that the Pulse nightclub was attacked by an ISIS adherent who killed almost 50 people and injured many more. And there were sermons at mosques in the area that were homophobic and were ignored. No, that's unrelated. Nonviolent homophobia has nothing to do with violent homophobia. Nothing at all. <laughs> Talk about denial. These things are not unrelated. At the essence, at the essence of what we're talking about, be it a, a, a rogue Salafi apologist Islamist professor at Georgetown, be it a motion in the Canadian Parliament to protect Islam and, and cite Islamophobia and the need to do studies and analysis about all of the rampant Islamophobia leading to attacks like Quebec City. Be it any other discussion that we can't seem to have, where people are afraid to speak up, where people, where reformists are marginalized, where President Obama, Trudeau, or now President Trump is attacked for even having a ban from seven countries. A pause without the word Muslim mentioned, but it becomes all about being Muslim. This is a bigotry of low expectations. This is not a treatment of equality of Muslims, but actually an exploitation of the identity of Muslims for political gamesmanship. While professors are standing, endorsing slavery, giving apologetics about racism and rape, where they minimize the agency of women as being a byproduct of Western hedonism. And they're not held accountable. I hope that our legacy at the Muslim Reform Movement is to hold them accountable. I hope that our legacy is not only our two-page declaration that cites the principles we believe need to be lifted up, but that these debates begin happening day after day after day. We're going to have them here on this podcast week to week. You're going to hear about professors that are apologists for petro-Islamic Wahhabism. You're going to hear about parliamentary legislation in Canada, in Europe, and in the United States that tries to suppress criticism of theocratic ideas from Islamism and other ideas incompatible with Western thought. You're going to hear here about the need for policies to be directed not against violent extremism, but against violent Islamism and the theocratic underbelly of the ideas that radicalize militant Islamists. In this podcast at my website, takebackislam.com, we will continue week to week, month to month, to address these front lines, to breach that chasm between the land of freedom here in the West and the Islamists that are trying to penetrate 
our parliaments through motions that anesthetize the West and silence us, by professors at Georgetown and elsewhere that try to, under the name and payroll of the Islamist movement globally, petro-Islamic dollars, try to suppress any type of criticism and modernization of Islamic thought. Hats off to the liberal media that address this and the conservatives that have the courage to do so. It is time to fight the establishment, not the Muslim community, but the establishment of the Islamist community, the theocrats that are controlling the narrative of what it is to be Muslim and what it is to describe and discuss Islam. They do not own the faith. They do not own reform. Ishtihad, the term for reform, is something every Muslim can do. So as you have conversations with your Muslim and non-Muslim friends, talk about these issues. Look at our Muslim Reform Movement Declaration and ask them about the principles in it. It's time to question your professors, question your politicians, and let's get the national narrative away from the partisan anesthesia in our bunkers and instead begin to move forward so that we can address these issues day to day against armed jihad, ISIS identification, and other aspects of this global war. Last, we're waiting to hear this week, more news, but it apparent that the General Mattis is already talking about possibly asking for permission to send troops, ground troops, into Syria. I'm going to leave you percolate about that for a week. Because as much as it'll be rewarding to finally hear about somebody who's going to bring an end to ISIS, and I get sending ground troops to Iraq to end ISIS, but Syria? There's a lot more involved there because the regime in Syria is evil, is genocidal against Sunnis, and has allowed ISIS to fester. What happens with the Russians on the ground? What happens with the 30,000 or more Hezbollah on the ground in Syria? Do we fight them? How do you surgically just get rid of ISIS, and what do you leave behind? We'll talk about that soon. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing. This is Zudi Jasser for Blaze Radio on Reform This. God bless. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.